0: Many of you have probably heard about our family's big move to Western Massachusetts, coming up quickly now, in fact, next week. For me, it means leaving Los Angeles after coming here for graduate school 30, nearly 30 years ago, and after meeting my husband some 20 years ago, raising our two children here, despite our best intentions to leave on several occasions to escape, as my New Englander husband says, the crowds, traffic, and unrelenting sunshine. (laughs) But it's really happening this time, and obviously this was on my mind as I reflected on the readings for today. Also on my mind, on a more somber note, was another transition I've been facing. Some of you may have heard that my mom passed away early last month. She had been declining over the past year, so not entirely unexpected, but still jarring and life-changing. So in addition to the move, been dealing with memorial services, seeing family, and saying goodbye. So when I saw the gospel reading for today, I thought, of course. This one about Jesus telling the would-be follower that he shouldn't go bury his father, that's the one I get to preach on. But yes, it had to be this passage because it is full of themes about moving, transition, and loss, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Challenges that we all face at one time or another, and for which God's Word can provide us with guidance and hope. The beginning of our gospel reading today marks a significant transition in Jesus' life and ministry. Up until now Jesus had been teaching his disciples and healing the sick, performing miracles. And he had sent the 12 out to proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. He had gone up the mountain to pray and had a dazzling encounter with Moses and Elijah. You could say his ministry was flourishing. And yet in Luke 9:51, the first verse that we heard today, there's a shift we hear, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Set his face, a phrase that seems familiar yet strange. In the Greek, it was stone-like, as if he was bracing himself. Jesus was aware of what lay ahead, what awaited him in Jerusalem, where he would confront the authorities and be arrested, convicted, and crucified. And yet he set his face toward Jerusalem, a single-minded determination. And because of this determination, he was not received by the Samaritans, who disagreed with the Jews about where to worship God. Having forgotten Jesus' earlier admonition to shake the dust off your feet when he sent out the Twelve, James and John ask if they should command fire to come down and consume the Samaritans. But this is not the way of Jesus. His is not the way of violence. Instead, they move on. Then a series of encounters with would-be followers, all with seemingly reasonable and temporary encumbrances. To the one who proclaims, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus responds with an ambiguous statement about foxes having holes, birds having nests, and the Son of Man having nowhere to lay his head. It's almost as if he is asking this person, are you willing to become homeless, to forego the normal comforts needed to sustain life, to follow me? Jesus is inviting his followers to be vulnerable. Then the reasonable request, bearing your father, saying farewell to those at home, surely these are things that any responsible family member would do. The Torah was clear about honoring thy father and mother. But Jesus calls them to proclaim the kingdom of God, to move forward with the plow. By looking back, the plow will get off course. Seeds will not be planted and the harvest will not come. And certainly right after this passage we heard today, we hear about how Jesus appointed a further 72 and sent them on ahead in pairs to every town saying, "'The crop is heavy, but the laborers are few.'" Jesus is aware of the needs around him. He knows what awaits him in Jerusalem, and he senses an urgency to see that his followers can carry on the work once he is done. Thus, Jesus' words to these would-be followers, those seemingly harsh responses to what we might consider reasonable requests, are understandable given the context. In some way, Jesus' encounter with the Samaritans and these three would-be followers are potential distractions for him. He has set his face towards Jerusalem, towards his destiny, and nothing will stand in his way. He has a single-mindedness of purpose that is prompted by God's profound love for humanity and all the world. And yet, always the teacher, Jesus is likely driving home to the twelve the cost of following him or what Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others have called the cost of discipleship. Following Jesus will always cost us something, while it also bestows blessings and grace upon us. Our journey parallels the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. We must have the same single-minded determination and urgency about responding to the call of God, whatever that might be. Discerning what God is calling us to do, well, that is the task of every person of faith. Living with purpose and intention, or mindfulness as they like to call it today, but focus not only on our own well-being, but that of others. Working for justice and peace and respecting the dignity of all human beings, these are our most sacred vows as Christians, part of our baptismal covenant. These themes of seeking justice and respecting the dignity of all human beings were on my mind this week as we commemorated 50 years since the Stonewall uprising, the protest that galvanized the modern gay rights movement. Fifty years ago, very few establishments would welcome openly gay people. Police raids on gay bars were routine in the 1960s, but in, on June 28, 1969, at the Stonewall Inn in New York City, the LGBT community said, no more. The community fought back, and the world has never been the same. A year later, June 28, 1970, the first gay pride marches took place in New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, and the riots were commemorated in Chicago. And such pride events are held every year in June since then. Analogous to how Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of the bus in Montgomery, Alabama, sparked the modern civil rights movement, within months of Stonewall, gay rights movements sprung up in cities across the U.S. and then across northern Europe as well. Although we certainly still have a long way to go to eradicate stigma and discrimination towards LGBT populations, the changes that resulted from this communal that's enough is substantial. We have openly gay political leaders and clergy. In one of the remembrances this week, I heard people talk about how Stonewall and the subsequent gay rights movement made it possible for them to come out to their family and friends, and how transformative that was, not having to hide who they are. The parallels to the current environment for immigrants was striking to me. Immigration raids instilling fear in a stigmatized community. People hiding their status or just literally hiding. Babies in cages and children sleeping on concrete floors and detention centers without blankets and denied basic tools for hygiene and health. Injustices done in the name of security and maintaining order. Does this all sound like a sick sort of deja vu? Wasn't it a year ago that I talked about the family separation policy in a sermon and we saw such outrage as awareness of these policies became more mainstream? And wasn't it a year ago that the current president caved to enormous political pressure and signed an executive order meant to end the separation of families at the border? Yet here we are. When will we see a Rosa Parks or Stonewall moment for immigrants? when the people say, it's enough. Yesterday, the seven Episcopal bishops in the state of California issued a statement decrying inhumane treatment of migrant children. I encourage you to read this statement. We have made copies available in the back as well as on St. A's Facebook page. The statement succinctly outlines the theological and moral imperatives for opposing the inhumane conditions in which our government is holding migrant children. Importantly, it includes several action steps like advocate speaking with your representatives and local officials March in protest. There's a lights for Liberty March on July 12 Volunteer with and donate funds to organizations doing immigration law work at the border Donate goods and money And an interesting one, build relationships with local Department of Homeland Security Community Relations Officers. And of course, pray. I would add another, build bridges and connections between immigrants, particularly those with precarious precarious statuses and non-immigrants. We know that one way to reduce prejudice and increase empathy is by humanizing the other. Certainly, more people coming out about their sexual orientation and gender identity, as well as legalizing same-sex relations, relationships have made this diversity more accepted in our society. In a similar way, allowing undocumented immigrants to come out of the shadows would be transformative to our communities and nation. For in our Galatians reading today, Paul tells us, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This freedom of God, freedom that Jesus calls us to, is not freedom from the cost of discipleship, but freedom for it. Freedom to act in love and be guided by the Spirit. Or as J.K. said to me this week, when you're free, you have to fight for others. Certainly, we can look back to recall the inspirational and pivotal moments that sparked past collective efforts to restore the dignity of marginalized populations, such as Stonewall. Yet we must plow forward, sowing justice and peace until all are free. We must stand with others who do not have freedom currently. That is our Christian duty. A German Lutheran pastor, Martin Niemöller, was imprisoned by the Nazis and narrowly escaped death, later wrote about his regrets for not having spoken out earlier. I've adapted his famous prose uh, for this occasion. First they came for the gays, and I did not speak out, because I was not gay. Then they came for the blacks, and I did not speak out because I was not black. Then they came for the immigrants, and I did not speak out because I was not an immigrant. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. God calls us to join our voices with those suffering injustices and inhumane treatment. With Jesus as our example, we must set our face stone-like toward Jerusalem, to whatever place or mission to which God calls us, and not allow distractions to keep us from God's purpose. Amen.